Welcome everyone to the fourth episode of Northern Spin. I'm Michael Taylor and I'm joined as ever by Chris Maguire. Hello Michael, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. I've just signed a professional contract to uh, turn out for Blackburn Rovers. Absolutely, they'll be playing in League One anytime soon. Uh, I'm actually not playing, Chris. You know, they wouldn't be signing a 56-year-old man to, to play up front for them. But I am, I've got a new gig. I'm actually going to be hosting in the lounges, which really I did on Saturday, you. which was good. No, I'm really pleased because I know you're a massive Rovers fan as well. So that's a good signing all round. It is, yeah. So who, who else have we got with us here today, Chris? Well, we've got my wife, Leah. And the reason is today is a big day in our lives because it's our 21st wedding anniversary. 24th, I believe. You've lost count there, son. Yeah, well, the time flies. The time flies. <laughs> but uh, I decided, what could I get my wife that money can't buy? And the opportunity to see you at work, Michael, and join us with this podcast was uh, was a prize <laughs> that money can't buy. Fantastic. Great. So uh, did we get much feedback from the podcast? Lots of feedback. We're, we're three in now. We were in Liverpool last week for Labour. And people must have lapped that up, though, that inside track that I was able to provide. Lots of, lots of positive feedback, but not all positive as well. I've been criticised um, for allowing you, Michael, to be too labourish. I take that as a compliment. Yes, I thought you would, actually. I, thought I, you I would. literally work for a labour group. So to be criticised as being too pro-labour, I think that I'll be citing that in my next appraisal. But I'm going to turn the tables on you as well, Michael, because as you know, you're a political comms professional. You work with a labour group in Stockport. Today, I want you to play a little bit of role play. Oh, <laughs> go on. See, I've got my wife's present. Remember this, Michael. Um, <laughs> so I want you to imagine that you are working for the Conservative Party. Uh, it's their conference this week. It finishes on Wednesday, I think. I want you to park your political allegiances to one side and imagine you're working in Liz Truss's communications team. What can she do to win the next general election? Okay. So that's an interesting challenge you've set me. I think it's a pretty impossible job. My observation last week was... I think the country's shifted. I think they've made their mind up about Liz Truss. So it is a really, really difficult brief for anybody to take on. And every step that she's made since she's become leader has been a misstep. So we're recording this on the Monday. Kwasi Kwarteng has literally, in the last few minutes, announced the reversal of the 45p tax cut. I would have said, if you'd asked me before that, reverse the 45p tax cut. So it shows at least that they're listening, because one of the things that I think that, the, that they have demonstrated so far, that any good comms professional would advise them to do, is just listen, to, just read the room a bit more, which is what they're terrible at doing. So read the room a bit more. They've been economically tineered, they've not listened to the markets, and they've been politically tineered. We have Michael Gove and Grant Shapps, former senior cabinet members under Boris Johnson and Theresa May and David Cameron, both coming out and saying, you've got this wrong, scrap this, that the optics of it are completely wrong, so they've done that. I think what they need to do is actually think about what platform they were all elected on. So they're going through a new agenda, like they're a newly elected government, but they're not. They don't have the mandate. Now, if there's one thing in, in kind of British political discourse that I've taken from, and I actually picked this up from a, a guy I know called Jonathan Simons, who works for Public First, a really influential campaigning and polling company. He said at an event at Tory conference in Birmingham, where they're meeting at the moment, and I think it was 2016, five years ago, that six years ago that I went. We're all losing our years today, aren't we? Now, I am going to ever so slightly swear and risk us getting a, um, a black mark. Okay. But he said... The core British political value is don't take the piss. And I think they failed that 
So what they have to do is show that they're on the side of the British people. So the first thing they should do, as I've said, reverse the 45p cut. They should also revert back to the manifesto they all got elected on with their 80-seat majority, which was get Brexit done, which they've done, but also start appealing, start appealing to those northern red wall seats where they were actually, um, which was the difference between them and Labour. They, they haven't done that. And what they did with that fiscal event two weeks ago, they got it all the wrong way around. Yeah? Good communicators would have led on the good news, not the bad news, not the stuff that was going to go down badly, like bankers' bonuses and a 45p cut. What in, uh, cut to the rate. What they should do is really emphasise that we are investing in your communities. And if you think back, when she went on all those radio interviews, which we'll talk about later, and I'm really interested in your perspective as an experienced local regional journalist she should have gone to leeds and middlesbrough and blackburn and all those different all those different radio stations and said here's what we are doing for you to go through the press release and say i'm coming on your radio station today because i want to talk about how this government is investing in your area so they should do that immediately to get people um excited about the the the, the investment that they're making through infrastructure plans so that that's it in a nutshell I wouldn't be surprised, Michael. You've already got the gig at, Brist at um, Blackburn Rovers if you get a call from Liz <laughs> Truss's office now wanting you to be her, you know, head of comms. Um, I, would I, rather, I would rather gouge my own eyes out. <laughs> um, my view would be this, actually. If I was asked, if I was, you know, to, to flip the tables and say, Chris, what would your view be? Um, and, and I think you're right, incidentally. I think they had to do the U-turn on the 45p highest rate of income tax. I think the banker's bonus... They, they, can't, they can't turn on that, even though a lot of people think that was uh, the optics of that were really bad as well. Um, the, the analogy I always use is this, is that, is that um, the role of a government and the role of a leader is to pour water on a fire. That's their job. So when there is a controversy, when there is an issue that suddenly erupts, your job is to try to allay the fears of the market. And what Kwasi Kwarteng did with his um, mini budget, his fiscal event, call it what you will, was they effectively poured fire. Uh, on those flames because a lot of the problems that the UK have got at the moment are, they're not down to the government you've got the Ukraine crisis which oh, has forced up energy Chris. costs no 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 you're listen, being no. too you, no you, you need to hear me out once again Tory propaganda no, once again, I'm blaming not this on Vladimir Putin I'm not a Tory whereas you are a Labourite you know <laughs> factamento but the point is is that the rising energy costs the rising petrol prices the rising inflation costs, that's not all down to Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng and the Conservative government. It's absolutely not. But their response is. Is that what you're saying? The point I'm making is this, is that when they announced that fiscal event, uh, that fiscal announcement a week ago last Friday, what they did is they, in effect, they poured petrol uh, onto those flames. So suddenly you got this run on a pound. Suddenly you got, um, you know, you got inflation going up. Suddenly you got, infl you got to the interest rates. Um, you know, people talking about doubling of interest rates as well. And there was that announcement, there was that lady on Newsnight saying that she was a first-time buyer and the interest rates she was quoted had gone up from 4% to 10%. Yeah. And the optics of that look absolutely yeah. dreadful. Um, and and I, just, I just thought, once again, if you are in government, you have to say to yourself, is what I'm doing going to pour water on this fire or is it going to pour petrol? And if it's the latter, you can't do it. Yeah, I think that it's blown up in their face, frankly. So what practical measures would you recommend, especially in relation to the North? I've mentioned putting a much higher emphasis on infrastructure projects. We have Jake Berry, who's a, a very prominent 
northern red he's an early adopter of the red wall isn't he with darwin and rossendale as his constituency he's been advocating um people should just either dip into their savings or get this go and get a better job i mean try saying that to nursery school attendants say that to teachers people working in the nhs go and get a higher paid job to pay your fuel bill i think that reinforces yeah that this is the nasty party and they're back i read i read a report that said there were 97 mentions of leveling up in the party conference um the problem is is that what, if in, I the, said in, you, in the program if i if i said to you if i said to you what have they done in terms of leveling up you struggle now i'm going to put you on the spot now simon clark <gasps> secretary of state for leveling up what has he done so far with a leveling up hat since he was uh, appointed well there was an interview in the times at the weekend that he did where he didn't really speak very much about you know in investing in these infrastructure projects or, or maybe the journalist for, you know forgot or omitted to to include it in the article instead the times you know pretty much a tory leaning newspaper owned by rupert murdoch led on there's more cuts to come to every public every um, every government department that's that's shocking. Yeah, I, that is actually going back on all the promises that Boris Johnson made when this Tory government was elected in 2019. The problem the government have got. Uh, that's what that's what uh, Simon Clark, the Secretary of State for Leveling Up, has done. Is they've forced they've been forced into a corner. They've they forced themselves into a corner with yeah, this are. with this yeah. tax cutting agenda because obviously what they're going to have to do they're going to have to try and save the money somewhere so there'll be more budget cuts. One of the interesting things is whether or not they're going to put the benefits up in line with inflation because if they don't do that that's yeah. going to be bad news for the north. Um, Simon Clark, as far as I can see, has done a little more than retweet Liz Truss's tweets. Now I might be doing me a disservice, but I'm not seeing him talking about what he's doing in terms of levelling up, especially in relation to the north. No, I John, think they've abandoned the agenda. If I'm honest, John Stevenson, the new chairman of the Northern Research Group, who took over from Jake Berry, he needs to be given a much higher profile. But the, it's not—it's not for them to give him a high profile. They're like the ERG, which was the European Research Group, yeah. which was a, a bunch of kind of recalcitrant, um, slightly hostile, right right-wing Tory MPs who were desperate to get a hard Brexit. The Northern Research Group is meant to be like a group of backbenchers who are advocating for more action on the Red Wall, maybe advancing the cause of devolution. It's for John Stevenson to give himself a high profile. I'm, I'm not going to offer my services to him either. Though, <laughs> well, I mean, he, he would be welcome to join the show. Um, a couple of things. I'll tell you what, though, if they don't take decisive action, then um, that national research group is going to be a lot smaller come the next election than it is at the moment. Yeah, Some other things I think we need to see is we've spoken about Avanti West Coast. The franchise is due up for renewal on October the 16th. If they don't renew that franchise, that's the easy bit. They've got to come up with a replacement that's 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 better. It, you would think it can't be any worse because the rail services right now are in a state of absolute uh, a crisis. Yeah, there's another strike day on Saturday, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I there's mean, more to come all the way through October. I'm hosting I'm hosting a couple of events this week and they're planning around the fact that there are rail strikes. And I said, it would be easy to plan when there isn't because there are so many yeah. at the moment. That's the feel of it. Um, Liz Truss promised to complete Northern Powerhouse Rail when she was uh, campaigning to become the leader of the Conservative Party. We need to see some evidence of that because she's only got two years in office at the moment. And actually, this is, once again, this is another optics, right? We need to see and hear less of Jacob Rees-Morgan, Michael Fabricant. And but, his but he's the business minister. And Labour have got a very, very good business minister. I would say that because he's a friend of mine, Jonathan Reynolds. Do you pick that name off the floor and you accuse me of name dropping? <laughs> <laughs> but I, d I don't. But, but <laughs> please, but, please. But you know, it's, 
we, we've spoken on this podcast before about the importance for Labour to win over the business community. We've had people in the business community messaging you and saying, I'm too Labourish. And yet, the Tories have appointed Jacob Rees-Mogg. I mean, what, she, she could sack him, just, just as she could sack Quasi Quateng. Yeah, That I, might go down quite well if they are such terrible communicators. They've made their bed. Uh, the thing is, is that, you know, we're talking, you know, we are the Northern Spin. We want to try and be the voice for the North. I don't think Jacob Rees-Mogg comes across as the voice of the North. Um, I'm not sure he comes across as the voice of business as well. And it just doesn't look, just doesn't look great. I saw something that you liked actually on Twitter last week. And it was an interview with Jess Phillips. Uh, and it was on Twitter. And she, it was, she had a sense of humour. She, she was able to laugh at herself. She came across as funny. She came across as likable. Um, everything that Jacob Rees-Mogg doesn't. He doesn't come across as yeah. a man. Who was that interview with? It was... Was it with, with Owen Jones? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. And he came up with an agenda talking about, you know, the Labour Party's not being socialist enough. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's ignoring its left wing. Yeah. Um, I, I retweeted that. You did. With the cab, with, saying, Alexa, show me an example of someone having their arse handed to them on a plate. But... It, even I laughed at that joke, and you know, you know, I like a good, good joke. Um, the point was, though, is that Jess Phillips came across as a real person, and exactly. Jacob Rees-Mogg yeah. doesn't, doesn't come across yeah. as a real person. Michael Fabrican, and I say this as somebody <laughs> who's got dreadful hair. Me personally, I've got okay. a dreadful hairstyle. Let's be honest. Um, it's but it's my own colour, um, and I just think I just don't think the Conservatives come across right now as very real. No. So, Chris, I'm going to put you on the spot now. Despite all the advice that I've offered. For this trust, can the Tories win the next general election? Would you be an advisor? No, I wouldn't. No. Okay. Um, no. <laughs> um, I don't think the Labour. I don't think the Conservatives can win the next general election. What I do think, I think Labour could lose it. Okay. So I agree in a way. Let me just have, let me just put a, a, what I mean by that. Quite rightly, at the moment, after an exceptionally good conference, which I would give nine out of ten to, I think Labour is confident. And confidence is infectious. And I think Keir Starmer, his speech was confident. And Rachel Reeves on the, on the weekend rounds was confident and in charge of a brief. I thought, but the danger is that tips into hubris, like overconfidence, arrogance even. And they've really got to guard against that. They've got to fight it like they're two points ahead in the polls, not 33 points ahead. And the one thing I would say as well is that when Tony Blair had a huge lead in the opinion polls leading up to the 1997 election, he, the one thing they always guarded against was complacency. Indeed, we said that last week, didn't we? Absolutely. Great, and on that bombshell, we're going into a break. Um, welcome back, Michael. Liz Truss's car crash interviews with BBC radio stations highlighted two things for me. The first was the importance um, and, and the perils of politicians looking down their noses at local journalists. And the second was the arrogance of people like um, Paul Mason after describing the, um, the, the round as a Operation Rolling Partridge, predicting that a bunch of, I quote, sleep-deprived non-expert presenters will throw, her will throw her soft questions while she dodges the heavy hitters. You listened to it, as I did. What did you think, Michael? I think Paul Mason owes Graham Liver and many other presenters on BBC Local Radio an apology for that because they proved that they actually turned up with their A-game. Every single one of them completely flawed Liz Truss. It was 
all her worst characteristics. She's tineered, she's arrogant, she hasn't done the preparation. You could literally at some points hear papers being shuffled across the desk from advisors, you know, giving her that, um, oh, it's gonna, be, it's gonna be used in PR and comms masterclasses in years to come as how not to deal with radio interviews. And again, I was really, really proud of local, uh, I was proud to have ever worked in the journalism profession to have seen what, what those interviewers did. Um, it was brilliant, actually. It, you're good mates with Graham Liver, BBC Radio Lecture, aren't you? We are. We're both uh, from Lancaster. Um, both our dads, our dads worked together as milkmen in Lancaster. And, um, and I've been to Rovers matches. I think I went to the 1987 Full Members Cup final at Wembley with Graham. He's a lot younger than me. What? I know I look I look younger, but yeah. Uh, I mean, Paul Mason loses a lot of credibility, though, doesn't oh, he? Oh, completely. Yeah, he's made an absolute fool of himself there. But let me just, you know, terrible comms again. They didn't try and lead on any of the local issues that they're doing in each of those communities, and in particular, there's a question that you wanted to raise uh, last week uh, about fracking. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that, that Graham Liber pulled her up on because she didn't know the detail of where fracking is. And the question I put out on Twitter last night to, ahead of this chat today, Chris, I'm, I'm interested in your view: is is anybody in favour of fracking? I don't think anybody. I've just done a just done a Liz Truss type pause then, um, and I don't <laughs> want I don't want our friends at What Media who produce this fantastic podcast to to, to, to edit that out. That pause was deliberate. Um, I I hosted uh, and I've hosted lots of business events and yeah. I hosted one about four or five years ago and there were protests outside from an anti-fracking group and there were about 100 businesses in the room and I asked a question I said right how many people in the room are in favour of the principle of fracking uh, of around 100 people how many hands went up against it would you say don't know ten percent two. two really two yeah. so the, the the vast majority of people in the room were in favour of the idea of fracking the, wow. the problem with fracking is nobody wants it on their doorstep no. and actually I'm not sure the case for fracking has been made no um, now if I was working in Liz Truss's comms department and I knew I was going to be interviewed by Graham Liver, I would A, have a little gag lined up about Blackburn Rovers, and B, I would say, right, he is going to be all over fracking. Um, he's yeah, it's a big issue you, in Lancashire. He's yeah. going to ask you questions on fracking. And, and um, when she was asked questions on fracking, there was almost a bit, hang on a minute, that's not fair. You're asking me questions about something I don't know anything about. Um, Despite being Prime Minister. Yeah, because what BBC Radio does is it goes down to the local. It's like yeah. when there's snow in your area, in your kid's area, you, you listen to the radio to find out whether or not your school's on. Yeah. Um, but what that does is it takes you out of your Westminster bubble. And she was <laughs> ill-prepared. I thought she, if she was a boxer... And she went into a fight and she had eight rounds to fight, each one of those with a different BBC radio station. You know, she was knocked out probably in six of those rounds yeah. and she was given a standing count in two others. Um, I just thought it was it was poor. And, and I know I got called up by somebody who said that, you know, I'm allowing you to get your labour tendencies out too strongly and I need to bring you into line. Go on, At defend that. Defend it. I can't defend it. I can't. <laughs> I can't defend it. I can't defend it, and I can't criticise you because <clears throat> it was. They use the term car crash too often, um, but it was a car crash series of interviews. I think the thing that was was you know was wrong, and people forget this. They they hear the interviews and they they hear what's being done, um, but they forget the fact that the previous five days she'd gone to ground. She'd not yeah. been heard of since Quasi Quatang's fiscal well, announcement. The last, the last from Leeds said, "Where have you been?" Yeah, it's just brilliant. Yeah. It floored her, didn't it? I think what and she also said something which was 
actually wrong. She said no one will pay more than £2,500 in energy bills. That's wrong. That's a total misunderstanding about what the energy cap is. What I find really interesting, actually, is that um, I mean, I listen to lots of podcasts in the same way. Yeah. Hopefully, people listen to you know listen to our podcast, Northern Spin. But one of the podcasts I really like is uh, Newscast with Adam Fleming. And what they did is, after those interviews, they packaged them up and they produced a special newscast program. So people like me who maybe didn't listen to him live could listen to him. What they did that was really interesting yesterday is uh, this is Sunday. They did the interview with um, um, you know Liz Truss. It was Laura Koonsberg, your favourite uh, journalist, and they sent that out afterwards. So I think in a sense, the BBC are, they've got to be seen as even-handed for obvious reasons as well. But they're not ignoring things like that. And and those BBC interviews got a big audience, and they played out well on Twitter as well because people sliced and diced it, and some of her answers and some mm-hmm. of her embarrassing silence. It was a disaster. So you said my favourite journalist there. You're implying I don't like Laura Koonsberg. Um, on the show last week, you... Um, and maybe it was when we were talking off air, so maybe I shouldn't bring <laughs> this up. But do I you think, think she's, a, she's, a, she's a great journalist, and she comes in for a lot of stick. Partic- from, people think that she's really biased against one side and the other, that she's Remain, that she's Leave, she's Tory, she's pro-Labour. She interrupted Rachel Reeves a lot. She does demand that... Um, that Labour justify their, their their tax and spend plans, which I think is a reasonable question to ask. I thought I think she's a, I think she's a good journalist. Yeah, yeah. She's I, a rather obsessed with the minutiae of Westminster, but yeah. apart from that, I don't want to be joining the chorus of people who are, who are attacking her. I think Chris Mason's better. Um, okay. But but if you listen to her interview with Liz Truss yesterday, the number of times Liz Truss interrupted her. Oh really? Yeah, it yeah, was it was incredible. Interesting. Um, now. You've met lots of politicians over your illustrious career. You must have a few funny stories you can share, Michael. Yeah, so I interviewed David Cameron at the uh, Bolton Stadium, whatever it's called now. And initially I was granted 20 minutes one-on-one with David Cameron when he was leader of the opposition. It ended up being 10 minutes. Oh, and by the way, you've got David Otwell from the Manchester Evening News in with you. And basically we had one question each. We'd negotiated before. You go first. We tossed a coin. I went first. And my question was, um, you've criticised the nationalisation of Northern Rock. What would you do? And David Ottawa went, ooh. <laughs> and Cameron went, well, I don't think it's the place of the government to be owning banks. And I, I thought it was a killer question. There, there was that. Um, I interviewed George Osborne many times. I think you did as well, didn't you, when you were inside? I just thought for a second there, I thought, call me Dave Cameron was actually in the room on this podcast. So good with your impression. <laughs> um, I've interviewed George Osborne three yeah. times, and I interviewed him twice, I think, when he was a shadow chancellor and once when he was in post. Um, he's an interesting character because if I say, do you like somebody... His passion for the Northern Powerhouse was genuine. It absolutely was as well. Um, I interviewed him in Chorley, um, and uh, he came the week before. Well, he, he was given a tour uh, with the uh, guy called Alan Cullen, who was a prospective parliamentary candidate for the Conservative Party, who was up against Sir Lindsay Hoyle, never uh-huh. going to win it. And he walked around Market Walk, and he walked around uh, Chorley, and nobody recognised him at all. Nobody. <laughs> um, and then the following week um, in Market Walk, Peppa Pig turned up, and there right. were a thousand screaming kids. So I did this story in the Chorley Guardian because I used to edit it. And I had a picture of, um, you know, George Osborne walking with Alan Cullen with nobody around him, followed by a picture of Peppa Pig with a thousand kids screaming. And I said, a week's a long time in politics. Now, it's fair to say the Conservative Party didn't think that was very funny. (laughs) 
<laughs> Very good. Good. Well, you get full marks for that. Someone could almost accuse you of being too laborish for doing that, Chris. <laughs> well, we'll find right. out, won't we? So let's go for a quick break. And when we come back, we've got a few quick fire questions. Welcome back, everyone. I uh, hope you enjoyed the interval. Me and Michael certainly did. Now, we've uh, talked a lot about Labour and the Conservatives, Michael. So do you think the Liberal Dems and the Greens are still relevant? Well, they're relevant in the sense that they are constitutional political parties with the presence on the national stage. But the recent polling, I was quite surprised that the Lib Dems didn't do better. They're still on, they still seem to be stuck right there on 7%, which is a surprise. Um, the Greens only have one member of parliament and a small role in a number of councils. But, you know, I work in Stockport. We're a, uh, I work for the Labour group. The Lib Dems are the largest party on the group. They run the administration. So for me, you know, they're front and centre. I, I, I think about them a lot. Um, they don't live rent-free in my head, but I do think about their strategy a lot. I think about what they are. You know, I don't want to be unkind, and I have good relations with a lot of Lib Dems in the North. I'm a particular admirer of Tim Farron. I think he's an interesting politician. He's a Christian. He's a Blackburn Rovers fan, so that's two big ticks from me straight away. And and he voted against things like tuition fees uh, when he was in when he was um, voted against the coalition government. He never took part in it. Um, but generally, my criticism is they try to be all things to all people. There are, there are leaflets I've seen in the ward that I live in where they, they'll literally take two different positions depending on which end of the road you live on, whether you think speeding cars is a problem or whether you think inconveniencing speeding cars is a problem at the top of the road. So, no, that's that's my critique of Lib Dems. And I think that plays out, you know, in some areas they want more houses built, in other areas, you know, they, they really play the NIMBY card. I think the thing with the Lib Dems is they're seen very much as a protest vote, but they've done yeah, pretty that's well. Fair, fair to say, yeah, they've done, they've done pretty well on parlementary by-elections. The yes, question would be, they do, yeah. when it comes to the next general election, whether or not their vote will hold up, I'm it not is. sure. It I, is. I had an idea that um, coming out of the, into the, next, the last general election, I wondered if there was a kind of a, um, a political profile of a person and I, div I sort of wrote about this at the time, called Wilmslow Steve. And you and I all recognise this person, Chris. Mm. It would be, you know, the sort of person that we deal with when we were when we've edited business magazines. They'll run a business. They were they voted Remain. They're anti-racist. They're university educated. They've got kids. They can see the costs of their parents going into care. They know that a lot of the Tory policies are uncaring and unfeeling, but they're pro-enterprise, they're pro-business. They were probably completely turned off by Labour when it was left more left-wing under Jeremy Corbyn and potentially Ed Miliband as well. And particularly concentrations of that type of voter in the south of England in prosperous areas of the north could be tempted to tactically vote Liberal Democrat in order to get uh, to keep the Tories out. I'm not seeing that that's rising. If, if it is, you know, the Lib Dems could be on 30, 40 seats in the next general election and they could be a minority partner in a, in a, in a progressive government. That's, that's, that's one of the theories. Labour look a little bit further ahead that they don't need that anymore. No, I, I think I think um, I think you're not you're just not hearing their voices. And if I said to you, can you name can you name as many Lib Dem MPs as possible? I think uh, well, I for one would struggle. Um, can I talk about something which is close to my heart, which is yeah. planning? Planning, planning. Yeah. Wow. 
absolutely because you're not trying to get an extension on your house no, are you no no i'm not i'm not no at uh, 10 bedrooms it's big enough michael uh-huh. um, but no liz trust has made a big play on on shaking up planning and and this is a big issue it's a big problem for the conservative parties as well um quasi quartang's hinted that these new investment zones will see a relaxation of planning laws um, the problem with planning is it moves at a glacial pace now the tory shires won't vote for encroachment into Greenbelt. Um, they, they, they perform really badly at a by-election and their stance on the Greenbelt was given as a reason why. But I want to talk about something much closer to home. As you know, I live in Lancashire. I'm passionate about Lancashire. I live in Chorley. There's a 65-hectare site near me where I live. called It's called Lancashire Central. It's the Lancashire Central scheme. It's incurred in. If you don't know that part of the world, it's where so the M6... It's where the M6 meets the M65. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, It's the bottom of the M65. Now, back in 2012, I was given a tour by the then leader of the Lancashire County Council, wow. Jeff Driver, who is a Burnley fan, I believe, and uh, he's uh, he's been in the news a lot recently. And uh, he showed me a strategic vision, because I'd just taken over as the editor of uh, Northwest Business Insider, following in your footsteps. Um, and, and he gave me this tour. He took me to Leyland. He showed me um, the business park in Leyland. And he took me to this area, which was called as Curdin, uh, at the bottom of the M65. And he was pointing at it. Said, 10 years ago. This is 10 years ago. This is 2012. This is 2012. He said, Chris, there's going to be a, this vision of the strategic uh, employment site. It's going to be absolutely amazing. And why and isn't there? And you get these big signs. You get these big signs talking about, you know, these plans that the county council are going to deliver. 2018, there was uh, IKEA were going to anchor this. It's going to be a retail park, actually. And IKEA were going to anchor this retail park. And then suddenly, on the eve of it, they pulled out, said it was the wrong time. And then everybody else who was going to join on the back of IKEA said, actually, that's made me really nervous. Right. I'm not going to go either. Why is that a planning issue? That's a commercial issue, That surely. was Yeah, but the point was, that was four years ago. They They... They just felt it was the wrong time uh, in 2018, this is IKEA, to commit to it. So in the last four years, bearing in mind it was 10 years ago since Jeff Driver gave me this tour of this green field, yeah. and it's four years ago since IKEA pulled the plug on this deal. It's now come back again. It's going to be an employment site. Um, but for that to happen, there's got to be a lot of infrastructure work carried out by Lancashire County Council. Now, this is the problem, okay, um, because you can't deliver it until the roads around it can deliver, literally deliver, um, you know, access to that site. That's going to have to go to Lancashire County Council. The problem is that, that, that uh, Lancashire County Council's planning department, like a lot of planning departments, are massively underfunded, um, sorry, um, under, understaffed. People who work in planning are going to work in the private sector because they can earn a lot more money yeah. and they've not got to deal with the brickbacks that they get from the media and politicians as well. So I would say to you, if we are serious about growth, if the Conservative Party are serious about growth, that site at Curdine has to be a really lively, fantastic site where businesses are encouraged to open and develop. Because at the moment, businesses wanting to build and stay in Chorley and South Ribble can't because there's not enough land available. Yep. That, that green site is, 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 a real, is a real stain on any ambitions for growth. Fantastic rant! Oh, that's brilliant. Great, great rant, Chris. Good I didn't to, hear. Good I didn't to see hear. Passions up. I didn't hear. Did you say it was brilliant? I did. Yeah, use that in the edit. <laughs> <laughs> so I believe passionately in building more houses. I'm very disappointed that Stockport, where I work and live, is not in the Greater Manchester plans for homes and jobs. And I'm very concerned that Stockport hasn't got a local plan at the moment. It needs to go out to consultation on it. There was a really interesting discussion I was party to at Labour conference as well, Chris. Sorry to bang on about this, and apologies if I'm coming across as Labourish. But there was a discussion that um, Lord Bob Kerslake, former head of the civil service, was um, part of, 
talking about the amount of capacity that gets taken up by local councils um, when they submit bids to levelling up fund, high streets fund, uh, strength in places um, funds, all these different things. It takes up so much local government capacity and they're cut to the bone. And yet you've got people like Simon Clark saying we've got to trim the fat. There is no fat. As you've demonstrated with your point about planning in Lancashire and as I've, and I've said about our situation in GM, that there isn't the capacity to cut back on it. It needs more, more investment. And the Tories, I'm sorry, I'm not sure where they're going with all of this, Chris. Yeah, well, it, it's, it's just a real concern that, that that site has laid dormant for 10 years. Um, I'm going to end, actually, if I may, Michael, by thanking you publicly. I want to thank you because you recommended this something to me. We were meant to be taking the gloves off yeah. and having a proper ding-dong. It's a lovely... You, you can't have this all this... Bromance. No, it's a loving. It's a loving yeah, because you recommended a program to me, uh, Our Friends in the North. You said, Chris, have you watched it? And I said, No, I've not watched it. And against my better judgment, I thought, you know what, I'm going to watch this. I'm on episode five. I think it's nine, only nine episodes uh, yeah. in the series. Yeah. Uh, Our Friends in the North with Chris, Chris, um, Chris Eccleston, um, Daniel Craig, who is Mark amazing, Strong, who is Gina amazing. McKee. Alan Armstrong. It's just an absolutely fantastic. Uh, it's actually, I'm, I'm really, really enjoying it. There's Good. this fantastic scene in there, actually, where, because some of it's a bit naff, the actual storyline's brilliant, but you're watching something that was filmed 20 years ago, and there's this scene where this guy is doing some snake dancing and some snake chanting, and he's playing this musical instrument, and then if you look closely, he's got this piece of wire that's attached to the end of his musical instrument, to the head of this plastic snake. I mean, if you look beyond that, if you look beyond the optics, it's brilliant uh, and I suppose that's a metaphor for the Conservative Party as well <laughs> they need to look beyond the optics and hopefully people will see brilliance I'm not sure it's there yet but it was a fantastic program if Good. you've not watched it our friends in the north well I'm very pleased that you've enjoyed it Chris I'll, I'm sure I've got a few more recommendations for you to broaden your cultural hin hinterland and to welcome you as an honorary northerner and if you've got any Kentish recommendations that I should watch all knock yourself out not easy to say no so, that's all for episode four of Northern Spin. Can we ask you to give us a five-star review on Spotify or any other podcast platform that you find us on? Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your enemies. Give us a listen. And if you, um, and if you think I've been too laborish this episode, tough. Anyway, thank you to What Media for recording this podcast and also thanks to Elliot Taylor for providing the, mu the music. His track, New Beginnings, is a proper 90s Manchester vibe. Good lad. This has been Northern Spin. I've been Michael Taylor. And I've been Chris McGuire. Thanks very much. <laughs>